175 pound guy crying all over camp, <laughs> like he was just sobbing. And so when we went down like to the sipping parlor, you know, and, and I said, Jeff, are you okay? And he said, my daughter wanted me to learn how young life reaches kids with the love of Christ. But I think I found the love of Christ. I don't normally hug men, but come here. <laughs> <laughs> Tom has an excellent way of weaving stories in and out of his talks. This is talk number two from Tom Job as he encourages us in the mission of Young Life. Hope you enjoy. Hey, can I pray for us, Lord God? Thank you so much. It was so awesome to worship you, and we love you so much, and I thank you for this room full of men and women of God, and I'm so thankful to be here with them, and that it's just, just encouraging to be around them, and Thanks, Lord. Bless this time in your precious name. Amen. So, um, Tina and me, um, we raised our, well, we raised our kids in Italy, so, um, and that is super weird, because, like, when you, when, um, when you go there, they don't, like, really speak your language, so we had to learn theirs, which is really crazy, because at, at the beginning, um, we didn't know anything, and so I had this little phrase book which is the stupidest idea of all time. Like, um, so like I'd go into like a fruit store and I would, ha I would like read my thing. So I would like one kilogram of apples. I would like one, so io vorrei un kilo di mele. Io vorrei un kilo di mele. And I would just be saying it. And, and I would walk in the store and um, I would just be like, Io vorrei un kilo di mele. And the guy would say, Ma porca miseria, ma come si fa? Ma voi, americani, andate in giro così, ma come si fa? Come si fa? Che io, la tua lingua, non la capisco, eh? Non la capisco. Porca miseria. And I totally wasn't like expecting that to happen, like for them to like talk back to you, but they they totally do. Oh my goodness, it's super crazy. But they so like uh, we had one of the guys that was um, that was one of our like working with us. Um, so he had been there for like uh, about seven months. So all all we did for like the first year was learn their language, and he had been there for seven months, and he was going to a church, and he was going to share like in his church like his spiritual journey, like his I guess you would say like his testimony or whatever in Italian. So he wrote it down and he memorized it, and he got up there to to say it, and he was going to say like my past is divided into two parts, like before I met Jesus and then after I knew Jesus. And when he got up there, he was like super nervous and he couldn't remember the word past. And the only word he could remember was the word dietro, which means like my, my behind. So that's what he that's what he did say. Like my um, my behind is um, divided into two parts. <laughs> that's like really not amazing. But um, if it wasn't, that would be amazing. But uh, one of my, like one of the women that worked with us, she. Um, so you go to we we would go to like school all day, and then in the in the evening you would go home and you would like try to you would like practice with your neighbors, like torture your neighbors, making them talk to you and so. But she was trying to say like back home in America, like my husband, Sam, like his favorite thing to do was to go to the river and fish. And the word, the word for fish is pescati, but she said pishati, which is the word for pee. Like it's, it's like the, um, the, the, kind of the bad one. But, and, she, and this lady said, no, Joan, that's not what you mean. And she said, 
Oh yes, every Saturday with all of his friends, they would just wine by the river and just pee shotty like the whole day. And she, she said, I've got some photos if you want to see it. So, but, they, um, but one thing about Italians, and I think this is true like of people of, more, of almost every culture in the world except ours, is that most cultures are more affectionate than we are, like they're more de demonstrative. And um, I was gonna, oh, I was gonna tell you, I'm talk, I was gonna talk to you tonight about, uh, about, I'll get to that in a minute, but just about a guy. A guy that's really um, encouraged me a lot in my life in the New Testament. We don't know what his name is, you know, so, but, but he was like an affectionate person. And so like Italians, when, um, they, so when you greet Italians, like if they're friends or in your church or in your, or whatever, so they always, when all, whenever you greet hello and goodbye, you always kiss on both cheeks. Like you start on the left. And you go to the right. And so, and it takes a little bit to get used to. People from France start on the right and they go to the left. So if you're like an Italian and you're um, greeting like a French person, you have to have like some consensus, like how you're going to do this. Like you wind up just like right, right on the mouth, you know. But Arabs, we wind up starting a church for Arab Christians there. And Arabs go, they start on the left, go to the right, and they go to the left again three times. So that I remember the first time that happened to me, I was like, Wow, hey, <laughs> I'm not saying anything, I just wasn't expecting it, but that, um, but Americans like are not really like super affectionate compared to I, most people. I remember one time, this was back before cell phones and it was, it was a guy that um, like in our church and he called me, when, back when you had like those old school answering machines and they would leave a, um, you know, a message on it. And so I saw I had two messages and so I, the first one, it was like, Hey, Tom, this is Bill. I just wanted to tell you for Thursday, Thursday we're going to do this and this. And so um, I hope that's okay. Okay, love you, bye. And I was like, wow, who knew? Like, I didn't know. Like, Bill loves me. You know, but, but um, and then I, the other message was like, I clicked the other message, and he, it was like, hey, Tom, this is Bill. Um, I, I just left you a message, and I think I may or may not have told you that I love you. Um, <laughs> you know, I do, you know, but that's really what I say to Mary, like, when I'm talking to her on the phone. And so I kind of just said it, like, reflexively. Um, I'm not really sure um, what I'm telling you, but um, <laughs> have a great day. <laughs> I, I remember Tina, the first time she ever, that, this was like when, when answering machines came in, the first time she ever, this was in the early 80s, the first time she ever left a message on somebody's answering machine, she said, okay, in Jesus' name, amen. And she looked at the phone and she went, what did I just do? I was like, what do you talk to that doesn't talk back? So, but, um, but I mean, just so, um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, like the idea of like telling people that you love them and showing people that you love them. I remember I was reading a, an article about, um, it was about answering machine messages that people left that were in like one of the two towers in 9-11. And they were always things like, um, hey, babe, you know, just wanted to tell you I love you. Or somebody would leave one, hey, Dave, I just, um, I need you to tell the kids that I love them. I wish I could see your face again. There was a, a Latina woman and she, um, her daughter was in the apartment. She had gone downstairs um, to work at, to put their clothes in the laundromat of their apartment building and her husband was a janitor in one of the towers and she got up and came back up and her daughter said, mom, dad called and he said to tell you that he loves you. And she just thought he tried to call. They said nobody ever called anyone to say, hey, I just wanted to tell you I've never liked you, so 
or, or nobody ever called anyone to say, hey, I just need you to, to vote for this person or that person. It was never stuff like that. It was just um, to know that you're loved, like to know, to say that you love people and like to learn how to say, I'm sorry. Like there's life skills that I think that you need to learn them early and you need to use them often just to, to be able to say I'm sorry or to say I need help or to tell people that you love them. I mean, there are people that have struggled their whole life because they were told that. I remember um, Rich Mullins, who I loved Rich Mullins. And I mean, he, he was like one of the first like Christian songwriters who was like super big and um, here in America and hold me, Jesus. I just, I just loved him. Creed, I love that. And, um, but his dad, he, he, his dad died, and he never told him once that he loved him. And he never told him once that he was proud of him. So at a certain point, he was at a retreat, and his, his uh, spiritual director, who was Brennan Manning, he told him, um, Rich, I want you to go in a room, and I want you to write a letter to yourself from your dad in heaven. And he said, that, that is so stupid. And he said, do it. Like, I'm like your... I'm telling you what to do, so do it. So he went in this room, and, uh, and he came out like 45 minutes later bawling his eyes out. And he just, and he had this letter from his dad, you know, that he had kind of invented. And it said, Dear Wayne, um, Rich Mullins, his name was Wayne. He said, Dear Wayne, um, I didn't know you could be affectionate. I thought it would make me soft. But I'm up here now with that great cloud of witnesses. And you could ask any one of them. I talk about you all the time. They're sick of hearing me talk about you. They're about to throw me out. He said, you are my passion. He said, um, I thought I could live without being hurt, but love has broken me in a million pieces. And every piece shouts hallelujah. You should see how righteousness looks on me. Your mother would faint. But I see how it looks on you. And I'm filled with joy. And I want you to know that. And I want you to know that I love you, Dad. You know, I was reading a, <coughs> I was reading a book um, a couple of months ago by this guy named Ian Cron. I don't know if you know who he is. He, is, he, wrote, a, he wrote an awesome book about St. Francis of Assisi. And he wrote, um, he wrote a, that book called um, The Road Back to You about Enneagrams. But um, he wrote a book about his dad. And um, he was, a, he was a, a Young Life Area Director in Connecticut. And his, but his dad, growing up, his dad was in the CIA the whole time. And he never knew it until he was a senior in high school. And like he said, he'd be working on a middle school project on like Cuba or something. And there'd be a picture of Fidel Castro. And his dad would walk by and go, that guy's a son of a and then, and he said, how do you know, Dad? Do you know him? He said, well, I don't know him, but we stared each other down on a bridge one night. And then he walked off. And his dad was an abusive, abusive alcoholic, and, um, and, and he was violent a lot. And, um, uh, you know, so what, uh, my dad was an alcoholic, and I spent my high school years trying to protect my mom. And I was, I was trying to find Jesus, and... Uh, I didn't know anybody who knew Jesus, and I didn't have him. And one of the reasons that I love Young Life is I was looking for you and I didn't have you. And um, I wish I had. 
But um, Ian Cron's dad was like violent with him a lot, and he got to where he just wasn't going to take it anymore. And he, but he went away to school. He went to Bowden College in Maine, and then and he got married right out of college, and he became the, an area director in Connecticut. And a little while after that, like his dad died, like my dad. My, my, his dad accepted Jesus. My dad accepted Jesus like five months before he died of a sudden heart attack. And his dad accepted the Lord and um, just, and then he died like suddenly. And so at the funeral, like he, he, he went in there and he didn't know what he was going to feel, whether he was going to be angry or sad or, and he just looked down at his dad and he didn't feel anything. Because his dad had never loved him and had never told him. And, um, he said, I didn't feel anything. But about, I think, a year later, he started waking up, like, with his heart, like, pounding. And he couldn't breathe. And it scared the crud out of him. And it, it would happen, like, night after night. And he realized that he was having this panic attack. And, his, and they didn't know why. And his, his wife was scared for him. And so he went to talk to his GP. And he, he hooked him up with, like, a a therapist with a, a clinical psychologist who, he said he was this guy about 80 years old, wore a bow tie, and he went in to see him, and he said, you know, I don't want to be like crazy because I'm in this ministry. And the, and the guys just said, tell me about your family. And he said, who? He said, tell me about your dad. And he said, why should I talk about my dad? And he said, because it's my job to ask you questions, and it's your job to answer them. And he said, I, so I started talking about my dad, and he said, the train left the station. And um, two hours later, he didn't interrupt me for two hours, maybe with a little question or two. And when I was done, he said, I would like to sit here for one minute of silence in honor of your story. And then he said, Doc, am I crazy? He said, no, you're just waking up. You know, they used to do a thing they don't really do it much. Um, I don't think they do it anymore in Young Life camps, but it was called Post Secrets. And it was where kids would write stuff on three by five cards. They don't do that anymore, right? I think it was like too much. And, but they would write things, um, things anonymously on three by five cards and they'd do a slideshow with it. And you know, things that nobody knows about me and you didn't sign your name. And some of them were stupid and some of them were funny and some of them were rude. And, but some of them were heartbreaking. Um, I'm not my friend's first choice. Uh, I give my, drinking will not make me a virgin again. I give myself to boys so that they'll like me and they never do. But a lot of them were about their dads. My dad doesn't love me, he hits me. I wish my dad would not live his life through me. It's what I hate the I wish my dad would see me for who I am and not for who I didn't become. And it's just like, how do you live? Like, how do you live? How do you love if nobody's ever told you? If you've never felt it. So, so in Romans chapter 16, which Romans chapter 16 is a chapter, um, it's like the last chapter um, where Paul's like, like he had never been there. But it was, he, was, he knew some people there. So it's kind of the say hey chapter, like say hey to this person, say hey to that person. And then, um, but there was also people in Corinth who were with him who knew people there. So hey, this person says hello, that person says hello. And in verse 23, there's a, uh, it says, Quartus, greet you in the Lord. And so the word greet 
it's, it's really a stronger word in like the Greek language. It's, it's the word like in some Bibles, like it's a word that means to bring somebody near. And like in the Italian Bible, it's translated ti abbracci. It's quarto ti abbracci nel Signore. It means like a quart just hugs you. Like he just hugs you. And, um, you know, and so like, like you said, well, you said you were going to talk about people who in the New Testament who we don't know what their name is. But Quartus isn't a name, it's a number. It's a number four. Like, that's, his name was number four. Like, and so he was probably a slave. That's what most scholars think. He was born a slave. He didn't grow up in a home. Like, he didn't have a name. He had a number. Like, in the, chap, in the verse right before that, it says, um, I, Tercios, who write, and that's a number three. So he said, I, Tercios, who write, I, three, who write this letter, greet, uh, hug you in the Lord. Like, I just hug y'all. And the, so, and like some people think like Paul was dictating the letter and this number three, like he was writing it all down. And then like Paul, maybe like he had to go pee or something. And like, Terrence is like, what's up, yo? Hey, what's up everybody? And Ford's like, dude, he's coming back. So I was like, hey. So, but I did just these guys that are so sweet, you know, probably never grew up with love. And they're just like, I just hug y'all. Like, I just love you all. And it's like, where does it come from? Where does that kind of love come from? And I think about what they were doing and how they were sitting there listening to Paul like, just say this letter, this amazing <laughs> And I think that's where they got it. Like, I think that's where the love came from, just listening to Paul like dictate to them this beautiful letter that he was writing to these people. So like the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, like normally like Paul would go places and, you know, tell, uh, Tell people about Jesus, lead people to Jesus, like form them into a community, train up people to like lead the thing, and then, then he would leave and write them letters. But the city of Rome, like was the most powerful city in all the world, and it had this massive like Christian community of people who were following Jesus. And nobody really knows where it came from because there was nobody who went there and founded it. And some people think it might have been like people from Rome who had been in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preached the message to them, and they accepted Jesus, and they took it home, and they shared it, and it began to grow, which is awesome. And it happens around the world everywhere. The only problem with that is sometimes when big movements grow spontaneously like that, theologically, they can be a little wonky. So Paul was, is basically writing this letter to this like important Christian community and saying, hey, I just want to make sure, I know you all know this, but I want to make sure, and I know you all know this, but I just want to make sure that um, we're all on the same page about just some basic things. So he said, so I just, I mean, don't get offended, he said, but I just want to share this message. Like, this is the message I share with everywhere. I'm not ashamed of it. It's the good news. And I just love to think about it myself, and I love to think about it together with you, but just to think about the message we have. Like, we have a message. Like, we have a message. Like, I... That's a completely unique thing. I mean, I remember one time I had a, a couple of guys who came to my door who were going to try to talk me into dumping my religion and joining their religion, like, on my doorstep. And I was like, guys, so what? Like, what's your message? Like, let's say, I, like, let's say like, I'm super sick, and um, I've been a terrible person, like, a super terrible, and I've done a ton of million, like, terrible things, but I want to be forgiven and go to heaven, but I am very sick. I only have, like, one minute to live. So... Uh, and you, I need you to tell me in one minute how to be forgiven of everything and know I'm going to heaven. So 
go. And they were like, well, it's like, it's not as easy as that. Like what, you know, I mean like it's complicated. Like you have to like repent of all your sins and then you have to like promise to like live by the God's laws completely. And you, you have to go like and study these. And I'm like, you, you have 23 seconds left. And just like, no, and then, I mean, you have to go door to door. You can't do it. I'm gone. Way to go. I said, hey, you know what? I can do it. Are you ready? You know, God loves you, but we've made a complete mess of everything. We've done a million things that are wrong and we're completely polluted. We can't pay for what we've done. We can't even cleanse our own heart. That's why Jesus came. He was Almighty God who, be who, was, who became a human being to teach us how to live, to show us how to live. Nobody's ever followed his teachings or his example. So he primarily came to pay with his ignominious death for all the messed up things that we've done. And he rose from the dead and offers to you, based on what he did, a complete forgiveness of everything you've ever done, do, or will do. A new start, a new heart, a place in God family and a place in his home forever. And it's a gift. It's absolutely free. All you have to do is say, I need it. I want it. I'll take it. I've got 27 seconds to sing a song while you make up your mind what you're going to do with that. But, <laughs> but, you know, it is like Paul, like Paul said, I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And we have a message, and it's a message that kids need to hear. Like you, like your job is to earn the right to be heard, to love kids and to reach out to them so that you might have the opportunity to tell them a message that I've learned in my life that nobody can understand this message unless somebody explains it to them. And so, like, we have them. I remember when Mel Gibson... When he made that movie about like the sufferings of Jesus, you know, the passion of the Christ, which I didn't see it because it was rated R for mature audiences, and I just had some questions about my own maturity. I just didn't think I could handle it. But he, um, but he, all the people that were speaking were speaking in Latin and Aramaic, and he originally wasn't going to put subtitles to it because he said this is not a message that needs words to understand. And I'm thinking it absolutely is a message that needs words to understand. The day that it happened, nobody who was actually there understood what they were watching, except for one person who was nailed beside Jesus, who would be dead before the day was over. Like sometimes you see like memes and stuff where people say, St. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. St. Francis never said that. Um, that quote was attributed to him 300 years after he was dead and he didn't believe it. He preached the gospel every day. He was a fantastic preacher. And he was a trainer of preachers, and he preached people how to present the message of Jesus in words that they need. Like, it's, it's, um, it's, it's good. It's like Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It's good news. It's not good advice. It's not good counsel. It's not good principles for living. It's good news. I need to tell you about something that has happened in ancient history, which if you open your heart to it, it will change your present reality and your future destiny. So... Um, it's a message that people need to understand. And so like, so Paul said, so in chapter like, oh, so in chapter like one, like from verse 18 all the way through chapter three, verse 20, he said, before I, before I tell you the good news, I need to tell you some bad news. And the bad news is you really need this good news because like we have made like a total disaster of this. Like everybody has, we've all done a million thought, said a million things that are wrong and we can't pay for what we've done and we're completely polluted and we can't do anything about our own heart, this is like a complete train wreck. And it's like, you know, and we're stuck. I mean, I remember the first time I ever went into a jail 
It was in the Knox County Jail on a Sunday. And I went in with some you know, people, and I had never done anything like it. And we went up to a bunch of people who were like in the drunk tank. I guess they had been arrested the night before, or been in there a while, I guess. And I just went up to one kid, and I was talking to him literally like through the bars. And, and we talked and stuff. And, um, and then I said, hey, can I ask you a question? If you died today, and you were to stand like before the gates of heaven, and God were to say, why should I let you into heaven? Like, that's not going to happen. But if, you, if it were, and, you, and God were to ask you, why should I let you in? What would you say? And he said, well, I reckon I, reckon I would say that I've, already, I've always tried to live right and to do my best. And I was like, Hello, you're in the Knox County Jail house. Like, yeah, like you, you think your best is going to get you into heaven and it's got you into the Knox County Jail house. You know, the, in, chap, in chapter 3, like when Bobby said chapter 3, like verse 19 and 20, when he's kind of getting to the end of this thing about like how bad the news is, but he said, you know, the only reason that God gave the Ten Commandments wasn't to show us what we need to do, like to get to him, but was to show us like, hey, nobody can do this, by the way. Like, just try this. You can't do it. It was so that every mouth would be shut and people would stop talking about how amazing they were and just know, like, I'm completely hosed, you know? So there was another day. It was like Tina and I, we, we always take Thursday off, and so we were home, and um, there were two young men at my door, at my door and um, they were going to try to uh, get me to dump my religion and join their religion, like, on my doorstep. And so and we got talking and laughing and stuff, and then, um, and I was like, so, and one of the things that they believe among all the things they believe is... Um, that they have to keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, like to get to like to their version of heaven or whatever. So I said, so let me ask you a question. So you keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, and he said, yes, sir. And I said, so like you never like what they call in theological books sin. And he said, um, not willingly. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, so like your things is like elder or whatever. So what are? But what are you? Nineteen? And so he said, yes, sir. And I said, so like if you see like a like a um, how does Today's contemporary youth say, if you see a girl walk by who's hot, is that what they say, hot? And I said, and I said, do you ever like, what do y'all call it, check her out? And uh, he said, uh, maybe. And I said, well, Jesus said that's adultery. And he started getting upset with me, and I said, Jesus said that's anger. So it's <laughs> 10, 15 in the morning, and you're guilty of like adultery and anger. Like, you're not really having a great day, are you? <laughs> And he said, come on, let's go. We're wasting our time. I was like, you came to my house on my day off, and I'm wasting your time. <laughs> I don't think so. I remember one time, but I was like, but I was, I was like head leader for my second time up, up here at Winnie Gap. Like when, when, they asked, when Bill asked me to be head leader the first time, and I didn't know anything about Young Life, and I thought that, that head leader sounded like, you know, just like a super sexy job, you know, just it turns out like a giant you know, keep kids from making out and smoking weed and stuff. And then, <laughs> so this time, but the second time, um, so all the guys up in the boys' cabin, in one of the cabins, they had stuffed a roll of toilet paper, like in the toilet, um, like down in the toilet on Friday night. And then all of the guys in that cabin had used that one toilet, like Friday and um, Saturday. They thought, they thought, you know, that that was going to be like super hilarious. And then I found out, like, that's what head leaders do is like you got to go up there and unplug that toilet and so I was up there um, with like these rubber gloves like up to my armpit and like down in that toilet and I and Steve Chesney was in this room and I knew that he was doing the sin talk and I was up there like let him have it like oh my god now they're going to hell and all that 
It means that, but it means more like justification means to be justified. It means in the instance that you believed in Jesus, you were declared righteous in the sight of God. Like you are, like just when Jesus died for us, when Jesus paid for us in that horrible way, all of my guilt, all of your guilt was given to him even though he had never done anything wrong. When we trusted in him, all of his righteousness is given to you and me even though we've never done 100% anything right. So that when God looks at you and God looks at, at me, like you are as righteous as anybody, as Jesus Christ himself in the sight of God. And what that means, and about three years ago, this like blew my mind. But what that means is, not only are you, God has taken away like all of your guilt, but it also means that God has taken away all your shame. So I had a t I grew up in a family that like trafficked in shame. I mean, it was just like, um, you, it was just never enough. Like you could never do enough. And I know what you feel. I mean, I know what young life staff people feel like. Like, I wish I had more kids at home. I wish I had more leaders. I have to write numbers down. I'm doing the best I can. I wish it was enough. You're doing an extremely difficult job and you're doing a masterful job of it. And in the end, you can still feel like ashamed of it That's what shame is. I grew up living in that. So uh, I was having a bunch of it about three years ago, a thing was happening and and I found this woman, I know probably you, a lot of you have read her, but this was like three years ago, this woman named Renee Brown. And she was a researcher, a um, sociological researcher at the University of Houston and had done 10 years of study of what shame is. And she said, guilt means I've done something bad. Shame means I'm a bad person. Like she said, it's the, the idea of scarcity, like I'm never enough, I'm never good enough, I never do enough, I never accomplish enough, I'm never rich enough, I'm never, you know, my job isn't big enough, my house isn't big enough, it's just never enough. I'm somehow unacceptable, unwantable, and unlovable. And so she did a TED Talk, and this guy told her, you need to be prepared for 5,000 people watching this TED Talk, and it kind of freaked her out. 11 million people have watched it because she touched a thing in like the heart of people everywhere of just like, how do I know that I'm enough? And it dawned on me that justification means that not only did Jesus take away all my guilt, but he also took away all my shame. Because the reason, because when I believed in Jesus and I was declared righteous, I was from that moment acceptable. And if I'm not acceptable to other people, and if I'm not acceptable to their standard, and if I feel like I'm never acceptable, and I've never been acceptable, but to Jesus I'm acceptable, that makes me officially acceptable. Because Jesus accepts me. And the reason that he did all that he did, and the reason that he went through what he went through was because he wanted me. And he wanted you. And if people make like, you feel like they don't want you, and, he, like, and you do, like, like the guy I work with, Lee, 
Like he's a Young Life leader, and he was wearing his Young Life T-shirt, and you know, going, sitting with, in the student section of the football game, you know, high-fiving everybody, blah, 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 and a kid just stood up and yelled as loud as he could, Young Life sucks! <laughs> it's like, wow. Well, it's not hard enough without people yelling at you know, and it's just like, <clears throat> but if you ever feel unwantable, Jesus did it because he wanted you. So you are officially wantable. He did it because he loved you. He did it because he loves me. So if other people don't love me, I am officially a lovable person because I believed in him. You know, when I first accepted Jesus, um, I started going to church, you know, when I was 20, and I would hear people say stuff, and like they would talk about justification, and they said ju what justification means is that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. And I thought, wow, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't believe that anymore. I believe that that is the eternal consecration of shame. It's basically saying that God can't even look at me. It's like when I get to heaven, God would be like, oh, crud, I forgot, I forgot this one. Um, <laughs> hey, I tell you what, I'm going to look over here at Jesus for about like seven seconds. Just go, go, like, go on, go. I'm going to change my mind, you know. <laughs> but I think now that what justification means is that when God sees me, he sees me. He sees you with the righteousness of Jesus, but it was you and me that he wanted. It was you and me that he got. One of my best friends is a guy named Buddy Oderman. One time, this was years ago, back when people did those Christmas letters. I don't know if they, if they still, um, if they still, well, people just brag about their kids on Instagram all the time. Like, they don't really do those Christmas letters where they tell you all about their amazing kids, but they, but Buddy said, okay, so hey, me, me and Kathy, and we want to tell you about our kids this year, and so let me tell you about, um, about Bo. Like, Bo's in the fifth grade, and he's so awesome, and um, Bo, he's, he's starting to play football, he's on the drama team. Of all my kids, Bo's my favorite. And I was like, wow, Buddy. <laughs> I mean, you're kind of bold, but hey, let me tell you about Will. He said... So Will's in the third grade. Will's the most like me. Like, Will tries to make people laugh all the time. When he starts doing Young Life, he's going to be great at program. Of all my kids, Will's my favorite. Hey, Katie. So Katie's in the fifth grade, in like five years old. She's getting ready. She's starting to try to learn to read. It's kind of tough. But she's just like her mom. And she loves to make stuff with her mom. Of all my kids, Katie's my favorite. If you came here, I feel like the, the message we share is always the message we need. If you came here feeling like, I know I'm going to have to say, but how many kids we have in club and how many leaders I have, and I hope it's enough. It's enough. Justification means if God were to speak to you right now, he would tell you, of all my kids, you're my favorite. And if you believe it, there's going to be a love that's going to well up in your heart. It's just going to overflow. And you're going to say to people you don't even know, I just hug y'all. 
And you're going to be able to love kids with the love you're loved with. You know, one time, I was an adult guest host. At, it was down at Sharp Top, which that's kind of a lame job. Like, it's just, you know, hey, here's the coffee, here's the bananas. Young life is awesome. Call me an alien. But they, um, but so, but there was a, so there was a couple there. And he was a retired cop from New Jersey. Like, he was a big guy, like about 370. And, um, so, and I got talking with him, and I said, so why are you all here? His name was Jeff. And I said, he said, well, my daughter, she's like doing, um, doing um, uh, intern. She's an intern. And so she wanted me to learn how young life reaches kids with the love of Christ. So I said, great. And, um, and so um, I think the speaker that week was Shelly Sadler. And um, so she, after she did the sin talk, I saw this guy, Jeff, and he was crying. And I said, Jeff, are you okay? He said, I've never heard this before. I said, Wait till tomorrow night, baby. It's gonna rock your face off. <laughs> so when they went out, like when they went out for the 20 minutes, you could hear like this 275-pound guy crying all over camp. Like he was just sobbing. And so when we went down like to the sipping parlor, you know, and, and I said, Jeff, are you okay? And he said, My daughter wanted me to learn how young life reaches kids with the love of Christ. But I think I found the love of Christ. I don't normally hug men. But come here. <laughs> anyway. Hey, can I pray for us? Lord, I thank you for I thank you for these men and women of God in this room. And I do pray that if there is anybody in here who kind of came feeling like I hope it's enough and I hope I do enough and I'm doing the best I can. I pray that they would hear you whisper to their heart, it was you I always wanted. Of all my kids, you're my favorite. We love you. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Tom Job. If you'd like to have more Tom Job in your life, and I know you do, you can find his sermons in the show notes. Anyway, hope you have a great day.